when I was crossing a narrow rural bridge, old bridge, a tractor trailer truck, an 18 wheeler. He just literally ran over the top of my car. I was pronounced dead on the scene. The moment the truck struck me, I was absent from this body and I was present at the gates of heaven. It happened 11.45. It's now 1.15 in the afternoon. He's praying over my dead body and I start singing that song with him and I'm back. Oh man, there's a, I don't even know where to go from there. There's so much to unpack. Don, I want to thank you for for taking the time to speak with me, and for those uh, for my for my audience that may or may not know of you and your story, is you said you got ran over by a truck, and that seems to be uh, part of the conversation that you're leading in regards to the movie After Death, where your team reached out to me. So, where would you? Where's the best place for you to start to tell people about this near death experience that you had? It can happen at any time. Um, I think we know that, but we're always one breath away from what happens next. And uh, I believe that. Uh, uh, I have a, a background in broadcast, broadcasting radio and television. And, um, but I felt a call to uh, ministry. And so uh, in 1985, I left the broadcasting business and went into ministry. Um, about four years later... I attended a conference for ministers, and it ended on a Wednesday morning in South Texas. I was on my way to my church in South Texas, and I was only about 10 minutes out of the gate of this conference center when I was crossing a narrow rural bridge, old bridge. I've never been on it before. I went home a different way that day, or at least I tried to go home. I didn't make it. And uh, a tractor-trailer truck, an 18-wheeler, came down a steep embankment, swerved over into my lane, it hit me head on, never saw it coming, never had a chance. It's a, it's a superstructure bridge, so it has narrow railings, and that, there was nowhere for me, for me to go, and he just literally ran over the top of my car, crushed it with me in it, and uh, hit a couple of more cars. So it was a horrific wreck on this bridge in the middle of nowhere. And uh, amazingly, no one else was hurt. The truck driver wasn't hurt. The drivers of the other two cars were not hurt. So they were treated and released. The paramedics that were sent to the bridge, and there were four of them because there were four victims, all worked on me. And uh, I was in just, I had been dismembered. It was a horrific sight to see. And uh, they tried to resuscitate me. They were unsuccessful. I was pronounced dead on the scene, a body was covered up in the car waiting for a medical examiner to come and do the paperwork so I could be uh, transported. And uh, the moment the truck struck me, I was, I was absent from this body and I was present at the gates of heaven. Uh, Revelation 21 says there's 12 of these gates and I was at one of them, surrounded by people I had known and loved in life who had preceded me in death. And they all looked really good. I mean, I think if you, if you want to look really good, heaven is the place to be. And back on the bridge, uh, there were people behind me. Obviously, they're not going anywhere now. The bridge is blocked. Uh, some of them leave their cars and walk up to the bridge, find out what's going on, why are we not moving. And one of those guys was at the conference with me. I did not know him, but he just felt, God speak to him and say, pray for the man in the red car. That would have been me. So he had to almost argue with the policeman to let him get in the wreckage of the car and pray 
over the body. He finally persuaded them to do so. He got under the tarp with the body and began to pray. This went on for an hour and a half. Uh, by this time, they had identified me. They had called the church where I was headed, told them I'd been in a wreck, but not that I was a fatality because they don't do that on the phone if they can help it. And in fact, I have been out many times to notify people with law enforcement that someone they love has, has died, has been killed. So they were going to do that for me. So this guy's name was Dick Honorecker. He's under the car praying over my dead body and singing a, a great old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. He's holding on to my right shoulder because my right arm is the only thing I did not break in the wreck. And he's singing that song, and without warning, an hour and a half after the wreck, it happened 11.45, it's now 1.15 in the afternoon, he's praying over my dead body, and I start singing that song with him. And I'm back. And, uh, of course, he's shocked. He goes and tells the EMTs that the man in the red car is alive. He's singing, and they don't believe him. So he has to convince them to come over and check on me. They do. They find out that I'm slightly alive, and uh, they try to extricate me from that car. Removing a living person is very different from removing a dead person from a car, a wrecked car. So they did. took hours. And uh, from an accident that happened at 11.45 in the morning, I arrived at uh, Memorial Hermann Hospital in Houston, Level 1 Trauma Center, at uh, 6.15 that night, six and a half hours after the wreck. I would be in a hospital bed for 13 months, and I would have 34 operations to put me back together again. So I never planned to talk about what happened to me. I really wanted to put it behind me and never have to deal with it again. The reality of it is, I believe God put it in front of me. And so I had to, I had to reconcile that. I had to accept the fact that people wanted to know if there is life after death. They want to know if heaven is a real place. They want to know if you can have some kind of existence after you've gone through a horrific trauma and you're never going to be the same again. And they want to know, I believe, that if prayer works, because the only reason I think I'm still here is because a lot of people prayed. And God said, yes, I had nothing to do with my survival. If I had had a choice, I wouldn't have come back here, certainly to what I came back to, years of rehabilitation. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not the way I was before. I, I can't do a great deal of the things I did before. I was a 38-year-old healthy guy with three kids and a wife and doing what I felt like I was supposed to do. And suddenly one day on an old bridge, Everything, everything changed. Oh man, there is. A, I don't even know where to go. I don't even know where to go from there. There's so much to unpack. So thank you, first of all, for sharing that. I feel like my, I was like looking at you, but I feel like I was watching a movie sure. at the same time. No pun intended regarding your actual the movie that just came out. No, after, no, I know, the, I know what you're saying. I didn't you know feel I mean? the same way myself. But but let me ask you. There's a, there's a lot of questions I have and, and thoughts I would like you to continue on with. But what what does the what did the doctors of the hospital specifically say medically since you came back? I'm just curious, outside of an existential, you know, philosophical conversation about a near death, yeah. what did they say is the reason you came back? Because I've never heard of an hour and a half being technically dead. 
No, uh, you know, they, they, there's a lot of discussion, it has been for years, about what are uh, euphemistically called uh, near-death experiences. And I think a lot of people have near-death experiences. I think there are more of those uh, by far than there are uh, situations similar to mine. I don't think I had a near-death experience. I think when you're dead an hour and a half, you're not nearly dead. I, I think I literally died. And I think I was prayed back. I think I was sent back. And I, I had to really accept that uh, because I didn't want to come back. Uh, I, I, if you've been there, you don't want to be here. And, and there were a lot of compelling reasons why I should have wanted to be here. And, of course, I got to see all six of my grandchildren come into the world. I mean, I've had glorious things that have happened uh, since um, I came back. But every day I'd rather still be there. I think the doctors were stunned. First of all, that I survived the catastrophic injuries. I was missing four inches of my left femur. It was ejected from the car and never found when the dashboard collapsed oh, on man. my legs. My right leg was broken at the knee, so it was just shattered. Uh, my left arm, um, I must have I must have put it up when the truck was coming for me because I don't re I don't remember that. But the truck took my left arm into the back seat of the car and from here forward was laying on the back seat of the car. Uh, I was impaled on a steering wheel. This was before airbags. Uh, I had brain damage as a result of, of my head uh, um, knocking against the side of the car. Uh, uh, my wife still thinks I have brain damage. This comes in handy sometimes. Um, I can, you know, say, well, that's, I, I have That sounds like an excuse. <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good <laughs> excuse. And it works because she knows that I did. I had, you know, I had blood coming out of my eyes and ears and nose. And, and, uh, but it was dried because my heart stopped beating instantly. So the, the doctors were stunned, puzzled. I think eventually they accepted it because I was here. And they knew what was what had happened to me. The uh, the evidence was clearly there. I was I was killed instantly in a head-on collision with a tractor trailer truck. But I am here, and so um, they just have more or less. And obviously, many of them have worked on me for years. Uh, some of them are retired. It's been so long since this happened. But uh, they tell the story all the time because they've never seen anything personally quite like it. So. I just think it's a miracle. I think, I think God is still in the miracle business, and I see it all the time. I hear it all the time, so I believe it. I don't feel very miraculous, frankly. It's gotten cool. The weather has turned cool, and every time that happens, every bone in my body begins to ache and the joints. So I'm very much reminded every single day of my life what happened to me, like you are, I'm sure, but I move, I press on, you know, I have stuff to do and uh, I'm going to do it as long as I am able. And the next time something happens to me, I just want to leave. I don't want to come back here. I mean, look at the present state of the world. Uh, you know, do we really want to all be here? Uh, some of us won't be uh, before the sun sets. So we have to be ready for what happens next. That's what I'm trying to do is to get people ready. It's fascinating because I've heard, you know, I've had a few stories on this podcast and obviously not the same as yours, but a quote unquote near death experience. And I feel like one of the consistent patterns is I've heard, correct me if I'm wrong, as it relates to your experience, that when they do cross over, if you will, uh, coming back is almost like a weird hangover because you were just somewhere so 
whatever great adjective you want to use or your home or in heaven or however you want to say it coming back is kind of like oh man i'm here right. and coming and, and and i wonder what is the purpose yes. of that you know what i mean like what are we is it just to tell the message or is it oh, some yeah. people some people don't say anything and we don't know about their story so it's like what is the what is the point of going there right. and then coming back i don't even know if that's a question it's just a thought I think there's more of that, the not saying, yeah, the not saying than there is uh, the people who tell. I, I let it slip out to, like, my best friend. He knew that uh, when I came back, of course, I was in just horrible physical shape and and, and equally messed up emotional shape because I what I had seen and lost. And then I came back to just hell on earth. I I wore one of the first, if not the first, external fixator. Uh, you've probably seen it on people's arms and legs, the enormous um, contraptions that have halos around your leg or your arm with rods going through and coming out the other side. Uh, that's I wore one of those on my leg for a year. You turn screws on them four times a day to stretch the bones inside the leg to try to make it regrow back it, it it's just her it's just unspeakable i also wore one of my arms so here i was wearing those things and trying to exist in a hospital bed 38 year old man who couldn't do anything for himself whatsoever had to be waited on uh to do everything just you could use, use your imagination there so um yeah i came back to that and it didn't take much to figure out I did not want to be here, uh, especially in that condition. And I, I had no hope. The, the doctors could give me no hope I would ever walk again or that I would certainly ever use my left arm again. So um, I walked in here to sit down to talk to you on my own two legs, and this is my left arm. So uh, I do believe in miracles, uh, and I am back in the saddle again, but I'm not anywhere near what I used to be before the truck ran over me. Yeah, that's the interesting part of the conversation as well is that, you know, obviously you've been on podcasts before, you've shared your story before, you've written about it, your books. The conversation seems to be often, okay, which I want, which I do want to ask next is uh, explain again uh, maybe what you felt and saw when you were there. I know you tapped into it a little bit when you first started the story, but the process afterwards, yeah. you know what I mean? That coming back as a 38-year-old man with your have to reconfigure your entire body and the process and the hope of, well, am I going to be the same? What's going to be different? There's that whole journey on this earth sure. that I feel like kind of gets maybe pushed to the side when people hear your story, and maybe I'm wrong with that. But, you know, even like coming into this, the thought is, okay, tell me about the near-death experience. What did you see? What did you feel? But then there's a whole nother battle that you had to go through and see and, st and still deal with every day that is part of your life from that experience that has nothing to do with going to heaven. So before I, I, I maybe tap into that, can you, can you allude a little bit more about what the, what you felt on the other side and what meaning you give to the other side? Am I calling it right? The other side? Is that like, should I not, should I not be saying that? Uh, yeah, that's, that's okay. Uh, there is, it is the other side. It is, it is in many ways the antithesis of this. People want to know what, you know, what does heaven look like? What does it smell like? Our, uh, well, our senses are heightened exponentially. Uh, so yes, looking, seeing, touching, you know, all those things are so far beyond anything we experience here. So it was the most real thing that's ever happened to me. And let's face it, I've had some real things happen to me uh, here. Some of them awesome, wonderful, and some of them uh, painful beyond recognition. So um, I guess I was surrounded by people I had known, 
and loved. Uh, the first person I saw was my grandfather. I had been with him when he died. I rode with him in the ambulance to the hospital uh, when he had the heart attack. And uh, I was standing outside the door all by myself when the doctor came out and said, I'm sorry, you know, we did everything we could, but uh, we lost him. So I tell people I have a lot of broken bones, and I do have lots of broken bones, almost all of them. But nothing hurts like a broken heart. And when somebody that you love uh, dies, especially suddenly, I think, it's, it's, uh, it's extraordinarily painful. It affects all of us different ways, but it just devastated me. I wasn't expecting them to lose him that, that night. So the last time I saw him, he was at his funeral, you know, in a, in a casket. Um, now I'm standing at the gates of what I believe to be heaven, and he's there. Uh, and he looks better than he ever did here, and he's extended his arms to me. And he speaks a language I've never heard before, but fully understood, and says, Welcome home, Donnie. That was his, word, that was his name for me. Uh, the only he used and so when I saw him, I knew where I was uh, because I knew where he was. And there were other people there, next door neighbors, uh, some, a couple of guys from high school that were killed as we graduated. Just a whole raft of, of folks. I had plenty of time to think about that when I got back. Like, why did that particular group of people meet me at the gates? I didn't see anybody I didn't know. This is outside now, the gates. And... Um, I, I, I know uh, why they met me. They all helped me get there. They all had a profound impact on my life here on earth. And um, I think that's who God wanted me to see. <laughs> I, I think that's who God wanted to greet me to know that I was at home and that these were the people who loved me and helped me get there. So um, we embraced, we talked. Uh, I wanted to go inside. And so I, I did uh, go inside, and um, I, didn't, I didn't fully enter, but I'm surrounded by angels. It's all they could have been above me. They, many of them were different. I mean, they're not all cherubs sitting around on clouds playing harps. They, uh, they were quite beautiful, and some very large, some without wings. So I was, I'm greeted by these people. I'm surrounded by music. Uh, unlike any music I've ever heard here. And I used to play it for a living. I'm, I'm a big fan of music, but this was superior, and it was symbiotic. There were thousands of songs at the same time without chaos. All the songs fit together. You could distinguish each one with your heavenly ears. So it was just stunning. It was one of the reasons I resisted uh, the opportunity to talk about this is because how do you talk about a heavenly place with earthly words? We don't have any words here that will do it justice. So I tried to do the best I can uh, uh, about it. I, I wrote a book so I would never have to talk about it. That did not go well. That book was on the New York Times bestselling list for 193 weeks and it sold uh, 9 million copies. So um, that was not my intent. I wanted to be able to point at the book and say, if you'd like to hear the story, it's, it's, you just, just read the book. But they read the book, and it just, it just went crazy, really, and still is. I mean, we're still talking about it 35 years, you and I, right now, today. So I was going to say, sorry I, got, sorry, sorry I got you talking about it again. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, uh, I, I've I've uh, reconciled <laughs> that. I've stood beside too many caskets. I've I've been to too many funerals. I've I've been asked to go over and see Aunt Mildred uh, with someone because she's very near the end, and I've done it uh, thousands of times because people want hope. Uh, they want to know there is something after this. I believe there is, and I experienced it myself personally. I just wasn't planning to die that day, and um, I, I think very few people are. They are not prepared uh, for what happens next, and so that's what I've been trying to do, and I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm more than okay with it. I know that's why I came back. I know that. Well, well let me ask you this, because obviously— there's, and I think with a, a story like this, what I've seen from the stories I've shared is there's always an opposing side, just such as life as people have their beliefs and that's all, that's totally sure. fine, of course. But with that conversation, with, with, with your story, is there, do you leave any wiggle for, okay, was this a real, obviously it's a real experience, like regardless of what it is, it's a real experience. But I mean, your, your certainty of seeing the other side and being at heaven, is there any possibility that you think, was this, did I see that? Did I go to heaven? Or is this something else of my brain or my mind confusing me? Like what, what is that distinguishing factor? Again, maybe you can't explain it because people that don't experience it will never understand. But what is that deciding factor? That's like, this is what, this is for sure to me. That was it. That was real. Well, actually that is my reality. Now, this is not, um, I mean, I know we're having this conversation, and uh, when it's concluded, I know we will have finished it. But um, I, I, I live the opposite now. I mean, I, that is my reality. I know that's what happens next. I know it's eternal. It will go on forever. It's hard for us to wrap our earthly brains around eternal. So I, I know that's reality for me. But I, I also understand that people, since the essence of humanity, uh, have always wondered if whatever. I think inside of us, deep down, most people, most people uh, are con are concerned about well, what happens after this? Because uh, uh, the the movie we just made made a T-shirt based on something I said, which is the death rate here is a hundred percent. We don't get out of this alive. And uh, so they have a T-shirt that says death rate is a hundred percent. Make today count. That that that's I just saw it. <laughs> uh, I didn't know they did it. But, um, yeah, the death rate here is 100%. And so that we are assured of. We do know that uh, because the people we have known and loved have preceded us. And we're still here. So, But we know we won't be here. So that's a given. But inevitably, almost every human being wonders if there is something after this. Every, every culture, every civilization, every religion. So that's a very common feeling within us. It's almost the most human thing that we have as humans is knowing we're not, we're not earthbound, that something else happens after this. So to me, that's a given. I've never doubted that. I didn't doubt it before the truck hit me. And so I, 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 having just lost a daughter, I don't, I, I don't doubt it. I saw them take her away. I know how real it is. So uh, I, I just tell people, I understand how you feel. There's no sense of arguing. Uh, religious arguments never go anywhere. They just wind up frustrating people who are arguing. And so uh, I just try to tell the truth and let uh, the chips fall where they may. I really am trying to get people in, and I, I want them to have a better trip on the way. 
in that first book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, I wrote a chapter. Now, this is 2003, 2002 when I'm writing the book. So this is over 20 years ago. I, I don't remember hearing the words new normal, but I have a chapter in that book called New Normal. So I don't think I coined the phrase. I, don't, I, I may have. I don't know. But at that point, that's what I was trying to help people find is a new normal because you're never going to be the same again. There's things that, things that happen to you. It's, it's a certainty that your life is going to change. If you can accept that and move on, you can have a meaningful life. If you can't accept it, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life by the situation that happened to you, and you will you will mourn or be frustrated or even angry for the rest of your days. So, with this experience and all these lessons you just explained, why why do you think we're here? Is there anything is, is there anything that you pulled in regards to our purpose here from your near death experience? Yeah, I think we're here. Uh, we, we, I believe we were created by God for fellowship with Him. I think He wants to relate to us. I think He wants to hear from us. I think he wants to talk to us. I think he's talking a lot more than we are listening. And I think he wants to hear what we have to say. I, 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 I truly believe that. Um, I believe we were created in his image, and I don't mean we look like him. I mean, we have the feelings and the, and the depth that cries out to him. He, he, he does want to relate to us, and I think he does relate to us. Uh, there are many, many people here on the planet that feel like they talk to him every day, sometimes all day, sometimes at least several times a day. So I'm, I happen to be one of those people, and um, I, I want to introduce other people to him. And so that's, that's essentially what I'm here for. But I think we're all here to, if for in a sense, glorify him, relate to him, speak to him. And that's why I believe in an afterlife, because they're we don't ever have to leave. I don't think there's any goodbyes in heaven, only hellos. I think it's like eternal, and uh, we'll be there forever. I just didn't happen to get to stay uh, that first time, and uh, so I'm planning on going back, and uh, I hope people will leave me there. <laughs> I want to come back here because I'd rather be there, even in spite of the fact that many people I love are still here. I know they're coming. Beautiful. And in regards to that, I guess, if you will, the confirmation of the afterlife from from your experience, how has that shaped how you live this life? Because I feel like, you know, what I, what I mentioned earlier, coming back, it's like, oh, man, it's like, is it a bummer sometimes? Or do you live life in a different way in regards to how you live your life and go through life's ups and downs? I mean, you you mentioned on the just a few minutes ago that you lost your daughter when not that long ago, or how many years it's been, and... Does an experience of crossing over and witnessing an eternal life after, does that help have any meaning towards life's experience, whether it's loss or something else? Does it help you cope? Does it give it more meaning? Is it like, well, you know, it's all going to be good anyway? Well, we're, we're coming up on the first anniversary of the, of the passing of my daughter. Um, she, she was 46, but to me, she'll always be my little girl. Your dad... You know, this is my little girl. And um, so I obviously think about her every day. Um, I pass to the house and there are pictures of her. Uh, I haven't deleted her, her text from my phone. 
You know, the reality of the separation is real. I often tell people when they've experienced a loss, I'm sorry for your temporary separation from your father. It's real, but it won't last. And I believe that. Uh, that was my experience. And um, I believe heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I wasn't planning to die, but I had made, uh, if you will, reservations. I knew where I was going that day. Uh, the moment I took my last breath on the bridge. So uh, I, I, she and I had conversations about this. She had uh, kidney cancer and uh, struggled with it almost six years uh, before it, it finally overcame her. So to say that we talked about this, that she knew my experience was an understatement. She was 12 years old when I uh, was killed in the car wreck. So she watched the whole evolution, the whole experience with me trying to get back on my feet, the therapy I had to go through, all the things. So she knew about it. And so we talked about uh, this because it was, it was a real possibility that the outcome of this cancer was going to be that it would, uh, it would win here. And uh, eventually it did just uh, 10 months ago. So um, I know where she is. I, uh, we talked about what happens next. She knew my experience. So... Um, like I said, it's just, you know, that's not the natural order of things that your children precede you in death. But I, I always felt like she was a gift anyway, that, that God gave her to me and that I was a steward of hers. I, I, I was here to take care of her and give her as good a life as possible. But he belonged to her. And so at the, at the time that was right for him, he took her home and then I will see her again. But I confess, I really miss her here. I do. And I knew I would. And uh, it's always more difficult than you think it's going to be when you lose a loved one like that. But I know where she is. Yeah, even with that idea that, you know, life continues after this, that separation, like you said, is real. So I'm, as you say, I'm sorry for your temporary loss. But uh, that, the word temporary tends to make it a little better, but it still sucks. Thank you. She was a great gal. You, you would have liked her a lot. I'm sure I would. Uh, before Listen, before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you one more question that I meant to ask earlier. So I asked that question, how does the medical community uh, look at your your death? And then when I asked you that question, you mentioned about how, you know, you related to the prayers, for instance. Do, do, you, have any, do you have any opinion on, because there's plenty of situations where, you know, people are praying for someone to pull through and people don't pull through. What is, what is, what is your perspective on that situation that when people pray and the outcome isn't like yours, where you come back, where people, the, pr the prayers per se, maybe didn't do anything. So w what is that process of when do they work? When do they not? Or why? Interestingly enough, uh, one of Jesus's followers asked him the very same question. How do we move the hand of God? How should we pray? And he gave him a prayer that generally called the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. But he said this, he said, if you ask it in my name, I will do it. And a lot of people think that means name it and claim it. Just tell God what you want. He, he just delivers like, you know, UPS or something. And that's not the way it works. The little qualifying phrase in the middle of that sentence, if you ask it in my name, I will do it. And what that literally means is if it coincides with the will of God, if it's what God wants and you ask for it, you're getting it. I mean, that's just as simple as that. But sometimes the answer to our prayers is no. 
uh, you tell your kids no because you know that what they want is not good for them or it doesn't fit with what they need at this point in their lives. So that's another one of those things like created in the image of God. We don't want our children to get the wrong things or um, suffer because of some decision we allowed them to make. So we say no. And God does the same thing sometimes. He, he has the whole picture. So sometimes the answer to our prayers is no. And Nicole may very well, she had tens of thousands of people praying for her, our daughter. I mean, thousands all over the world that know us and, and knew that she had been uh, fighting cancer for six years. And so my answer is she, she was here longer than they gave her any reasonable time to be. And so that meant that we had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of things and, and experience a lot of life. But uh, then she died. Uh, she's not here. And so the answer to those prayers at that point was no. I, I, I believe that God gave her to us and God took her home. And uh, I know where she is. And she's having the best time. She's the one that's having a great time. We're here still trying to struggle through another day and get things done. Um, this movie that we made is kind of a, about that. It's what happened to the people who, who lived, but it's also, you were asking about scientists. It's all, half the movie is scientists. They're all doctors. They're all psychologists. They're all um, psychiatrists. I mean, they're all kinds of people. So it's a very unique perspective. It's not like a book like I wrote. It is uh, many books, and and almost everybody in the movie is a New York Times bestselling author, including the scientists, the doctors who are in the movie, because they've been studying this for decades, and they uh, conclude there is life after death. They can't explain it, but they've seen it on their test results, and uh, they've talked to way too many people who have experienced it, uh, dating back to 30, 40, 50 years ago. So... Uh, that's why I agreed to be a part of the project is because it's not just a bunch of talking heads, us, us people who have drowned or died or tried to kill themselves or just went through any number of experiences and were dead. In fact, we had a dinner before the movie premiered in Hollywood, and uh, it was just us, the people, the, the near-death near experience. So we just called it the Dead Man's Dinner, even though there were some ladies there. And uh, we were sitting around and... And virtually everybody at the table had died <laughs> and wild. were sitting there uh, uh, eating dinner together. So, um, yeah, but there were some of the some of the doctors were there, some of the physicians, some of the psychologists that had studied this. So it's a it's a unique perspective for people to make their own decisions uh, when they leave the film. And that is, is there life after death? That's the question that is asked and uh, and is answered in the movie. So I, I'm, I'm all for that. I want people, they're going to have to make their own decisions anyway. Uh, I can't make them for them and wouldn't if I could. So um, I just want to see people there. I mean, I sign all my books, see you at the gate. And I, I'm, I'm praying that is true for all of us, is that we will all be together one day forever, a place where there is no death, there's no dying, there's no pain, there are no goodbyes. That's where I want to be, and I'm trying to get everybody in with what time I have left. Whew. All right. Well, 
Don, thank you for sharing that. You know, I uh, I spoke to Stephen, the director of After Death, and he explained in a similar way you did, where it seems like there's a lot of different vantage points, which is important, I think. It doesn't just show one side of the coin. He mentioned there are some skeptics that came into the film. You know what I mean? I think that's important. I think it is. I, I absolutely think it is. Yeah, we have people who were raging atheists before this happened to them. I mean, like, like really in your face type atheist, and I know them. And uh, oh my goodness, uh, what a relationship we have had because they come from a completely different perspective than I do and I have. And uh, we've become lifelong friends and now eternal friends. Yeah, that, that dang word eternal. That's is a freaky word for me. I'm sure many people, that's what gets you the most eternal. I'm like, oh, I, yeah, it I, I guess it, a, it, it wouldn't even a, matter when you're there, I suppose, if it's. No, we won't even know uh, all the things that we endured down here. Uh, they uh, That would be not heavenly if we went back over that stuff, played it over and over and over again, you know, getting run over my truck, uh, having my daughter die in front of me. I mean, all those things, uh, 9-11s. I mean, um, that's not heaven. And so th we won't even have a memory of that uh, I I happening uh, there because it wouldn't be there. Uh, it's it's a whole new thing. It's a whole new thing. And uh, it is eternal. There are no days. There are no nights. It's forever. And I like that idea because I'm 73. It has been a roller coaster, brother. I mean, there have been just unbelievably wonderful days and days that have been so dark that I just wanted the sun to come up again. So... I've done that. Most of us have, and uh, if we've been here any length of time. So there's a place where that doesn't happen. The sun doesn't come up because the sun is always up, and there is no night. Yeah, it always makes me think, if things are so much better over there, why are we all fighting so hard to survive? <laughs> it's like, can we just go there already? I don't know. Well, because we got off to a terrible start here. I mean, we, <laughs> you know, you go back in antiquity, you go back to human history, we got off to a terrible start. And we haven't figured it out yet, you know? Nope. We, we're fighting wars on two sides of the world right now, and um, earthquakes are happening, and... People are starving. I mean, we don't have to go far to find horror. And so, um, yes, we, we've um, we basically succeeded in, in fouling up a great deal of what we were given from the environment on down to daily existence. So uh, there has to be a better place than this, and there is. But we can do better here. We, we can do, and we should. Yeah, and uh, I mean, just as much as you don't have to go far to find the horror I, I still even believe with that you know the contrast is you don't have to go that far to find the beauty too so i think you can seek that out every day even amongst True. the chaos and the horror oh, yes. so I, it's i think it is an important yeah. perspective even though you know there's that shadow there you know it's it a, it's a balancing act of being aware of that but without the shadow can you really determine what the light is you know what i mean so that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast for you and me don but i want to thank you so much for taking the time point well taken absolutely you, yeah you're absolutely right yeah, it is. It is. We have that beauty. Uh, when you know, I, I I had the I had the I lost my daughter, but the truth is, when I held her as a baby, I, I couldn't have been more deliriously happy than anyone who's ever lived. So yes, it it, it is a, a joy and a and a thrill sometimes to see the, that sunset 
Um, uh, on the other hand, um, it could be unspeakably uh, painful and difficult as well. So it's part of the human experience, but thankfully uh, we were not created for that, but, but we, we caused that because of our own will. We, we did things we shouldn't have done, and we've been paying for it ever since. Uh, but there is a place where it's paid for already, and uh, we don't have to worry about that. So, you know, it's just one day at a time. I get up in the morning. I'm still breathing. Uh, my mother used to say my name's not in the obituaries, and so that was a good day for her because she was still here. And uh, I'm kind of with, you know, she's been gone for a while, but I think about that. Yes, I'm still here, so uh, what have I got to do today? I, I've got to do whatever I possibly can to make it a better life for other people around me because we're all running out of time. And the truth is, the people who are a lot younger than me may precede me. That's, that's, that's how urgent it is. I feel like it's urgent. And so that's why I still do what I do at this age when, when a lot of people have, are sitting on the front porch, you know, drinking lemonade. And um, that'll never be for me. As long as I'm alive, I'm, I'm trying to get people in and help them have a better trip on the way. Well, there we go, man. Until uh, this trip is going to continue for however long it's going to be, then I guess I'll, you know, I'll see you at the gate if I don't see you in Los Angeles. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But in the meantime, let's hang around. Let's hang around for a while. Yeah, let's hang out and make a difference. There we go. That's all we can do. But I, I let's Don, do it. Don, thank you again for being here and for everyone. I'll put in the, more information on him and uh, maybe check out the movie After Death. Uh, if you can, it should be, it's, it's in a lot of theaters actually from what Steven was telling me. So, um, go check it out after death. It seems, it seems really interesting. I like, I love the vantage points that you guys are focusing on on both sides of the coin for believers and non-believers. So it's just an interesting discussion. Right. Your story is very powerful. I'm glad you're still here and thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. So appreciate you. Be blessed. All right, everyone. Another episode of dead talks until next time. As usual, this is David and we'll see you later. <laughs>